For our second scripture reading, let us turn to the Gospel of John at its beginning. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. And we read the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace for grace, a grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him know. Amen. And amen. May God get to himself the glory and grant to us the blessing through the preaching of his word. Lovely to be with you again, dear ones. Now, if you ever knew them or if you'd ever heard them before, do you recall what were the first words spoken by our old friend, C.H. Spurgeon, in the newly erected Metropolitan Tabernacle in London in 1851. Here they are. I would propose, he declared, I would propose that the subject of the ministry in this house, as long as this platform shall stand, and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshippers, should be the person of Jesus Christ. And he went on to declare this. If I am asked what is my creed, I reply, it is Jesus Christ. And then of Jesus Christ, he proceeded further to say, who is the sum and substance of the gospel, who is in himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth, 
the all-glorious personal embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. And I hope it's true to say, brethren, uh, if old CHS was here with us in Solihull this afternoon, then after the service we would be giving him the warm right hand of fellowship, and perhaps for emphasis, but the old left hand of fellowship as well. In other words, to say, Amen and Amen. We're right with you there. There are a whole variety of scripture words pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't there? And that bear in different ways and show out different facets to do with his person, who he is, and his work, what he has done, does, and yet will do. Words such as loveliness, gentleness, excellence, preeminence, and among many others, there's one which particularly takes our attention uh, this afternoon, this evening, early evening, isn't it? The word fullness. Fullness. Uh, there is a lovely hymn, A Fullness Resides in Jesus our head, and ever abides to answer our need. And I could say amen and round off there, really, because that's the nub of it. But I didn't get where I am today by rounding off after a couple of minutes. So we'll take the theme and we'll seek Holy Spirit aid to unpack it. But that's the nub of it this afternoon. If we go away with nothing, boys and girls, if you go away with nothing else, and I hope you will go away with a bit more and your parents can remind you, but hang on to this. If you can understand these two lines, a fullness resides, there's a fullness in Jesus. A fullness resides our Jesus, in Jesus our head and ever abides to answer our need. Fullness then is the key word in our message. It's a grand word. It's a word, fullness is a word of fullness. It comprehends things like abundance, completeness, good measure, pressed down, running over. The senses of brimful, overflowing supply. And it's a word applied directly to our Lord Jesus Christ in our text. I give you John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 16. John 1, 16. And from his... The reference is the Lord Jesus Christ. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So John 1.16, the text, and the title for the message, All We Have in Jesus. All right so far? Three things. And for those who are taking notes, and this should make it easy for the uh, boys and girls taking notes, each of these three things... They're the same, except for one word, which is different in each one. All right? And it's the third word. So each of these three things, you've got this, dear young ones, each of these three things, it's got four words. And word one, word two, and word four are the same every time. But not word three. All right? Now, I couldn't make it easier for you than that, could I? Number one, the fullness of 
Jesus. You got that third word? Of. The fullness of Jesus. Because you see, our verse speaks of his fullness. From his fullness. And I say it's very plain from the whole context here in John 1. What a grand opening to the gospel this is, isn't it? Each of the gospels begin in different ways, don't they? Each is wonderful its own way. There's something grandiose, there's something sublime about the way that that John opens up, isn't it? Quite plain from the context that this is a reference to the Lord Jesus. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Who's that? The Lord Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 3, all things were made through him. Who's that? The Lord Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 11, he came to his own. Who's the he? Jesus. And his own people, Jesus' own people, did not receive him, but then unto twelve, but to all who did receive him. Ah, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so on. And then verse 14, and the word... The Lord Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Of the Lord Jesus Christ we're told elsewhere in Scripture that all the fullness was pleased to dwell. This was God's own pleasure. In other words, fullness in Christ. Christ and fullness, they go together. They make a pair but, but, dear ones, what is this fullness? The fullness of Jesus, but, but what is his fullness? Well, just consider, with a little word on each, three aspects. It speaks of the fact that in him there is the fullness of God. The Lord Jesus, of course, the second person of the Trinity of the Godhead, the eternal Son of God, there is in him the fullness of God, the fullness of deity, of divinity, whichever word you wish to use. Paul to the Colossians tells us of Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. This is what this earlier verse, verse 14 in our chapter is all about, isn't it? The eternal word, the Lord Jesus Christ becoming flesh, bone of our bones. Flesh of our flesh, real, true humanity as we are in every respect, but one, but one without sin. The Lord Jesus Christ is God, the eternal Son of God. And so in him there dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. And you notice that all the fullness, not as some would tell us, part of the fullness a proportion of the fullness, a percentage of the fullness. Not at all. All the fullness. So, for example, that there is, there is in the Lord Jesus Christ fullness of divine power, of divine righteousness, of divine justice, of divine holiness, of divine mercy, of divine love, of divine wisdom, of divine knowledge. Continue the list yourself, if you will. It all resides in him. And having become man, as we've said, it dwells in him bodily. 
He became man, of course, without ever ceasing to be God. True man, sin accepted, but all the time, without any diminishing, in him the fullness of God. Linked with that, in the second place, there is in him the fullness of the Spirit. Not surprising, because the Holy Spirit is also God, the third person of the Trinity, isn't he? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is in the Lord Jesus Christ the fullness of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit without measure, which John himself states explicitly later on in chapter 3, that in him dwells the Spirit without measure. To us who are Christians, thankfully, the Holy Spirit is given to us, but given to us with measure, given to us in measure. But to the Lord Jesus Christ belongs the Holy Spirit without measure. In other words, in infinite fullness, that word again, and completeness. The Holy Spirit, can we put it this way, not wanting in any way to lose reverence, but to try and explain the thing. The Holy Spirit dwells in the Lord Jesus Christ, not as in a container, but rather as in an ever-flowing fountain or a bottomless ocean. So this fullness of Jesus, brethren, It speaks to us of the fullness of God dwelling bodily. It speaks to us of the fullness of of the Spirit without measure. But it also speaks to us of something else just mentioned a couple of verses before our text. And that is the fullness of grace and truth. You see at the end of verse 14, the word made flesh verse. The only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There is in him fullness of grace in his heart, in his words, in his deeds, in everything about him. And there is in him fullness of truth. For he said of himself, didn't he? I am the truth. The wonder of it is this, isn't it? The Lord Jesus, he doesn't just declare the truth, proclaim the truth, speak the truth. He is the truth. He embodies the truth. I am the truth. So here, dear ones, see again. The fullness of Jesus. In him the fullness of God. That's why we are to worship and adore him. See in him the fullness of the Spirit. Which is why we can approach him and rely upon him. And see here in him the fullness of grace and truth. Encouraging us to seek him. Repenting of our sin. Believing upon him who bore our sins in his own body upon the tree. Do you worship and adore him? Do you approach him and rely upon him? Have you sought him? And are you believing upon him day by day by day? The fullness of Jesus. Now, young ones, are you there with pen, paper, pencil, whatever you're using? Remember, words one, two, and four are the same. Word three is different. 
We've just had the fullness of Jesus. Number two, the fullness in Jesus. Got that one? In. The fullness in Jesus. You notice how our words, how our verse states things. And from his fullness. Or we could translate it out of his fullness. From his fullness, we have all received. Now that's telling us something, isn't it? Here is all this fullness of Jesus. But from that fullness, out of that fullness, we have received. In other words, there is a fullness in Jesus, how can I put it, which comes our way, which flows to us by name. We receive from his fullness. Everything as Christians that we possess in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ comes by way of his giving and our receiving. In particular, is that so in the great matter of which our text speaks here? Grace. Mentioned twice, isn't it? Grace. Grace is not ours by nature. Or it would, be, it would not be grace. It is not born with us. The thing that's born with us is sin. And that's why if ever we are to be saved, redeemed, forgiven, only grace can do the work. Remember the legendary definition of grace according to the five letters that it's made up of. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. One of the Puritans was a man called William Bridge. And he has a series of six sermons on our text. And they're under the overall title of this, and these Puritans knew how to give titles to sermons. He gathers the six up under this title, Grace for Grace, or the Overflowings of Christ's Fullness. Received by all saints. That's quite short compared with some. Grace for grace. Or, they often whipped in the old or. You can't beat an or here and there. Grace for grace. Or, the overflowings of Christ's fullness. Received by all saints. And in it he writes this. We do not go to Jesus Christ in the strength of our nature. To take of his fullness to ourselves. But Jesus Christ gives out. And we receive. Exactly what we have written here before us. In the black and white of scripture. And from his fullness. We have all. Received. So here's the vital question for us. The same as would have been the vital question last week. And the same as will be the vital question next week. If the Lord Jesus Christ. Tarries. How may poor, helpless, wretched, guilty, God-provoking, Christ-rejecting, spirit-offending, hell-bound sinners such as we all are, boys and girls, men and women, such as we all are by nature, how may we ever receive the grace of God and thereby be delivered from all time 
from the wrath, the judgment, the condemnation of God, which we deserve. That, dear ones, is the vital question. And here's the abiding vital answer. Only, only, yet gloriously and abundantly in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. From his fullness. The fullness that is in him. Out of his fullness. The one who, scripture says, suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. The one who, scripture says, himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The one who, scripture says, loved the church and gave himself up for her. And notice very wonderfully the the ongoing constancy of this supply of grace. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This speaks of what we might call past grace, present grace, future grace. The supply of grace in all its tenses. Upon, that little word upon, grace upon grace. Sometimes rendered grace for grace. You know what it really means? I don't know of a Bible version that translates it this way. It's a bit colloquial. But you'll allow it this evening because it gets to the point. What this grace upon grace or grace for grace really means is piles of grace. Grace piled high. That's what the phrase means. The picture is of one blessing of grace after another. All the grace that we can ever possibly need is there laid up in store for us, freely available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if one delivery of grace has hardly been delivered before another delivery arrived. Some of us are old enough to remember the days when we used to get two deliveries of post in the day. That was a thing, wasn't it? Well, if we were living in those days now, two deliveries of post to your home a day, it's as if almost the moment that the postman has put the first lot through the letterbox, he's there again, putting the second lot in. The second lot not being stuffy forgot to put in the first time round, but it's another delivery. It's another supply. That's the picture. That's the picture. A wonderful abundance of grace, an overflowing cup of grace, a glorious consignment of grace. How about this phrase? Do you like this one? A sumptuous plenitude of grace. Don't worry about spelling that, youngsters. A sumptuous plenitude of grace. Ask your parents how to spell it. That's the wonder of it. We shall sing in the lovely hymn at the end, Immortal Honours, we shall sing these two lines, this couplet, watch out for them. In him there dwells a treasure all divine and matchless grace has made that treasure mine.
So, the fullness of Jesus, God, the Spirit, grace and truth, the fullness in Jesus, a never-ending supply out of his fullness, all that we can ever need. And so our third and final division really wants to unpack this a little bit further. So are you ready, young friends? One word change, the other's the same. Number one, the fullness of Jesus. Number two, the fullness in Jesus. What's the new word this time? Number three, the fullness from Jesus. That's the word, from. The fullness from Jesus. Here is a rapid top ten. Are you ready? Then hold on tight. What is this fullness from Jesus that comes to us? Off we go. Number one, pardoning grace. Our God is the God who pardons sinners. Otherwise, our case would always be hopeless. And this pardoning grace, it comes to us in the terms of our text, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's pardoning grace, both to begin the Christian life, but also to continue the Christian life, because there's never a moment, let alone a day, when we don't need it. Each hour, each day of the Christian life is a repenting day and a pardoning day. There's that lovely hymn, In wonder lost with trembling joy we take the pardon of our God. Pardon for sins of deepest dire, a pardon sealed with Jesus' blood. Who is a pardoning God like thee, or who has grace so rich and free? Not without reason does Scripture speak of the riches, the riches of his grace. That's number one, pardoning grace. Number two, upholding grace. Dear ones, how... How needful this is for us if we are not just to fall and collapse completely in a heap. No wonder the psalmist cries out in one of the psalms, Hold up my goings in your paths that my footsteps do not slip. We need the Lord to hold up our goings. We can't hold ourselves up. Without the Lord holding up our goings with upholding grace, what would we do, dear brothers and sisters in Christ? What would we do when temptations are strong, when the devil is especially hostile, when the waters have come up to our necks? It's an act of God's rich, free grace for us to be kept by the power of God. When left to ourselves, we would be so totally, un- so totally weak and utterly unable to stand. Number three of our top ten, sanctifying grace. And what a sweet and needful provision this is if ever we are to end up, as the Apostle John puts it, purified even as he, Christ, is pure. How thankful we are for the, the, the provision from the Lord Jesus Christ 
and in him of sanctifying grace. We're no strangers, are we, to exclaiming of ourselves with the Apostle Paul of himself, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But straight away he's going on to say there in the 7th of Romans, Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the believer's experience there in in Romans 7. The believer's experience. Oh, wretched man that I am. But thanks be to God. And not least, you see, for sanctifying grace. Sometimes we're in near despair, aren't we? Near despair of the weights of sin which so easily beset us. I once heard of a veteran believer, an elderly Christian, an esteemed minister of the word. And he was asked once in a question and answer session, what is your, your biggest problem as an aged Christian? What is your biggest problem? Didn't quite say as an old boy, but perhaps yeah, that's what their hint was. You know, almost implying that don't suppose you've got any now. Now you've got to your age. And he thought for a moment, this is an aged Christian. And he said his biggest problem as an aged Christian was still grappling with the sins of his youth. Not implying that he doubted that they'd been forgiven. Or doubted the fullness of God's grace to cover them. Plenteous grace with thee is found. Grace to cover all my sin. No, I wasn't doubting that. But this sense that still. As we grow up to all manner of ages. As the Lord spares us. We can still be beset by old sins. And old temptations. And even when we know that we've been forgiven them and aren't particularly being troubled by the same temptations, other ones have taken their place. But still, in old age, the remembrance of sins past can be a great trial. We are thankful that God says of our sins, I remember your sins no more, brethren. Got that? No more. The divine I will. But the devil remembers them and always drags them out and we remember them. Even in old age, the remembrance of old sins can be a trial and drives us again to the Lord for sanctifying grace. And here in sanctifying grace, you see, is, is held out for us, see, the blessed hope of, of growth and flourishing in every spiritual virtue and grace, such as faith, hope, love, joy, godly sorrow, true repentance, patience, humility, etc. And of help in the life, long, hard work of mortification. Number four, interceding grace. The interceding grace of the one who in heaven itself, the writer of the Hebrews tells us, always lives to make intercession for his people. Our praying great high priest, the Lord Jesus, there in heaven, he must be heard by the Father on behalf of his people and he cannot ever be refused by the Father. Number five, about halfway through the top ten, restoring grace. There's a lovely and famous testimony, isn't there, from David in the 23rd Psalm. He restores my soul. What a, what a precious, gentle, calming word that is, isn't it? He restores my soul. 
Think of the experience of Jonah and Peter. They experienced the Lord restoring their souls. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great shepherd, knows each and all of his sheep by name. He comes to us again and again. He picks us up. He dusts us down. And he sets us on the road again. And evidently that word restore in Psalm 23, it's rich in its scope and can include he revives my soul, he retrieves my soul, he recovers my soul, he rescues my soul, he, he strengthens my soul. In other words, dear ones, he does everything for our souls that our souls need. And at different times we need all those different renderings of the word. Number six, consoling grace. Consoling grace in all our griefs and sorrows, our problems and perplexities, our darknesses and heartbreaks. There comes divine and consoling grace through our trusted and most faithful friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, who Proverbs tells us loves us at all times. One of Scotland's finest in an earlier day was Andrew Bonner. One of the legendary Bonner brothers. His brother Horatius was another of Scotland's finest. But Andrew Bonner's diary I referred to this afternoon, this evening. And uh, it's, a, it's a grand work. I commend it to you. And this is Andrew Bonner's diary entry on the 14th of October, 1887. The day which was the 23rd anniversary of his wife's departing to be with Christ. And it turned out that he'd received news also upon it that his three-day-old grandson had also died. And dear old Bonner put in his diary for that day, broken cisterns, broken cisterns, all around, but the fountain remains full. And surely... That fountain, not least for Bonner at that time as at other times, was the fountain of consoling grace for a tender and a still broken heart. Number seven, enabling grace. He who says to us, apart from me you can do nothing, the vine and the branches, apart from me, without me you can do nothing. He does not leave us without himself. All praise for his enabling grace in every realm of Christian work, worship, Warfare and witness, the quartet of W's, work, worship, warfare, witness. Who is sufficient for any of these things? Our Lord Jesus Christ is all sufficient. And so as we sing, Jesus, Jesus, all sufficient, beyond telling is thy worth. Number eight, soul-satisfying grace. Our thirsts quenched from his living water. Remember how Jesus said this to the woman at the well in chapter 4. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. No satisfaction to be found ultimately in earthly things. Yet eternal satisfaction to be found abundantly in the Lord Jesus Christ. One hymn writer puts it, in him alone is found the grace to satisfy my soul. We're nearly there. 
the top ten. Number nine, persevering grace. Do you ever ask yourself, dear one, how shall I ever keep going? How will I ever last the course? How am I ever, weak and sinful as I still am, how am I ever going to endure to the end? Well, what do we sing sometimes? All the way. My Saviour leads me. And in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, can't stay with it now, but you read there in the sixth, and Jesus says that all that the Father gives me, yes, will come to me, and he won't drive us away, and he won't lose a single one of us, but what will he do with us? Raise us up at the last day. Persevering grace. All the way from the city of destruction in our sin to the celestial city in our ultimate holiness. Heaven is, as it were, the destination on the ticket of salvation by grace. And number 10 of the dying, and number 10 of the top 10, dying grace. Dying grace. Dying grace with which to enter into heaven. Sometimes as believers, although we have the assurance of eternal life and we look forward to being with the Lord Jesus Christ and so on, Yet sometimes we can be troubled at the prospect of death. We don't ordinarily get a dry run. I know somebody or some people are sort of, you know, it looks as if their, their, their life is virtually finished and then they're revived and they uh, take strength again. You know, we'd almost given them up, but then they have a fresh burst. But uh, you don't get a fresh run, run at dying. You don't die, do it twice to have a practice. And so dying itself, the the the... the, the Oh, not a nice word to use, is it? But if you'll pardon me, I can't think of a better one. The mechanics of it, you know, some people seem to have struggling deaths. Sometimes the devil comes at the, the, the strongest believer and tries to rob him of the very last uh, sip of assurance. Other times death is a quiet and calm matter. Very variable. But either way, here's this promise for us. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And part of it is this dying grace. The assurance of the Lord Jesus Christ's comforts and supports as we cross the last river. David in the 23rd again. Surely, goodness, surely. Not perhaps, not maybe, or not who knows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's all there, isn't it? Nothing missing there between all the days of my life and the house of the Lord forever. You tell me what's missing. There's nothing missing. It's all covered. Don't be afraid, dear child of God, of the prospect of death. Don't be afraid. There was a Welshman called William Thomas. No doubt lots of Welshmen called William Thomas, but this is a particular one. He was about 70 when he was converted. From a most wretched life. A most wretched life. Even other wretched sinners kept out of his company because of the language and everything else. But he was drawn into church, in his church in Wales. And he was converted that night under the preaching of the gospel. Lived for about another three years and evidently was a a radiant Christian in those three years. Completely changed man. And when it came to the time that he was dying, his minister was called and the minister went and with a, another church officer, I think, to, to be at his bed and to do whatever was needful by way of scripture comfort and prayer. And this was the account they gave, or one of them gave, 
He, that is, our friend William Thomas, he was far away somewhere but responded to a greeting and a prayer. He was obviously at perfect peace and all the evidences of the old sinful violent life were smoothed out of a now childlike face. The minutes passed and became an hour and more. Then suddenly the painful sound of the difficult breathing seemed to stop. The old man's face was transformed, a light radiant. He sat up eagerly with upstretched arms and a beautiful smile on his face, as though welcoming his best of friends. And with that, he was gone to the land of pure delight where saints immortal reign. Or oh, we had one Puritan earlier on. Let's have another one. Thomas Goodwin. One of the latter things that he said was this. Ah. Ah, is this dying? How have I dreaded as an enemy this smiling friend? So then, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Some people in life are hoarders. But dear ones, we can't hoard grace. It's always got to be fresh. Like the manna in the wilderness. Grace for today. Each day's grace. And remember. That with each day that passes. The Lord Jesus gives more grace. Remember that it's grace which cannot run out. There is never any shortage of supply. No situations like empty shelves on supermarkets. And our old friend William Bridge, from whom he quoted, let him round off for this evening. The fullness of Jesus Christ is a dwelling fullness, he says, a dwelling fullness. His fullness runs out into believers, and yet he is full himself. Amen.